Welcome to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where I share inspiring stories of ordinary people who walk out God's Word and discover radical results along the way. Welcome to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer. This is episode 18 with Stoppy, and we're talking about real-life romance. Now, what does the word romance mean to you? Over the years, I've come to realize it has nothing to do with chocolates, candles, and intimate bubble baths, although that's kind of fun too. But real-life romance is so much more. Real-life romance is love genuinely lived out. It's loving someone with God's love even when you don't feel like it. It's going through hard stuff with your spouse and discovering that with each tearful step, you're actually drawing closer to each other. And it's also feeling unlovable and yet being loved all the same. For me, my story of romance is pretty amazing. I first met John Goyer when I was just a little kid. Um, My grandma started attending his church and so I heard about his family and we would actually go to dinner at their house and go to church with my grandma sometimes and he was just a kid I was just a kid years passed and I entered my teen years which are kind of the crazy years the wish I can do over years of my testimony Um, I became sexually active at a very young age and at 15 I um, had an abortion which is something I really regret and then at 17 I became pregnant again and decided this time to have my baby. And that was during that time that I started seeking God. I realized that I had messed up and I knew that the only way that I can make things right again was to turn my heart and my life over to God which I did. So it was during my pregnancy that I really had a transformation. And it's during that time, I also started praying for my future husband. I prayed for someone who would love God, love me, and love my baby. And after my son was born, actually the day he was born, um, I got a phone call at home. Yes, I was 17. I went home the same day I had my baby. I'm pretty sure we stopped at the grocery store on the way home too. Um, and I'm not even joking. But that night I got a call from my grandma and she said that John Goyer was coming over. And I thought that was the pastor. He was coming by to see me. But no, instead it was his son. Yes, the handsome drummer boy at this point. Um, not a boy. He was 22. He had uh, he had been in the military and was out. And he was coming by. And John brought me a teddy bear and a card and just um, want to congratulate me. He kind of oversaw the young adult ministry in the small little church. And I thought, hmm, he's kind of cute. But I really thought nothing much of it because I had, of course, just had a baby that very day. Well, over the coming weeks, um, my mom and my, my, and well, now my mother-in-law, but my mom and the pastor's wife, Darlene, started plotting. Uh, My mom would say, so if John asked you on a date, would you go? And I would say, sure. And so my mother-in-law said to John, "Uh, if Trisha, if you asked Trisha on a date, she said she would go. And so pretty soon, here we are, two weeks after my son's born, John and I are on our first date. And I knew right away that this is the type of person that I 
would want to spend my life with. Um, and we haven't had always an easy marriage, but I knew that John was a gift to me from God. And that was the romance there, that God had a good plan, just like I prayed when I was 17, you know, do something with my life. He had a good plan for my life, and that included John. So even while my story is truly a God story, the, the bigger miracle is the fact that John and I are still together after 29 years. We've been married 28 and together 29 years. And we love each other even more than we did when we first started dating and first got married. We pulled through uh, together through parenting. We're still parenting. Our youngest is seven. Through job changes and moves, we become each other's biggest support as we stretched ourselves by adopting kids from hard places. We haven't loved because it's been easy, because it hasn't always been easy. Instead, we've learned to love even when it's hard. So I appreciate so much what my guest today, Rhonda, has to say about love in this upcoming interview. Love doesn't start in our hearts. It actually starts in our minds, she says. It's choosing to love even when things or people aren't lovely. When we were first dating or married to our spouse, it's easy to think about all the good things that our spouse is doing. We think about how wonderful they are and all their good qualities, all their good traits. But as the years pass, it becomes easier to think about all the negative things, how they left their muddy shoes in the middle of the living room or didn't rinse off their dishes or maybe said something that really hurt us or uh, maybe was had, you know, did something else that really broke our hearts. And this is where love and romance often breaks down in marriages. But I love this interview so much that I went back and I listened to it a few times just to be encouraged. And I know it'll encourage you. So now, here is my interview with Rhonda. Well, I am excited about today's guest. We're going to be talking about a lot of things about just living our faith and about walking out all parts of our lives, including our relationships and romance. Um, so let me just ask you, Rhonda Stoppy, will you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself? My name is Rhonda Stoppy, and I am the No Regrets Woman because my passion is to help women break free of regrets that hold them back and to learn to build a life of no regrets and also to guide their kids towards a life with no regrets. So tell us about um, just how many kids you have and a grandkids before we started recording. We we're talking about you have new baby pigs and the grandkids are looking at them. So I just love hearing kind of the, the family life of my guests too. Oh my goodness. So much fun. I actually have eight grandchildren and two on the way. By the end of this year, we will have 10 and there's two of them that are eight years old. The rest of them are all under the age there's a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and the rest of them are all babies. It's the funnest season of our life. We're having so much fun. Uh, my daughter and son-in-law live in Patterson, which is where my husband's the pastor of First Baptist Church of Patterson, and they are our college pastor, and they have a two-year-old and one-year-old. They had to come up to see the baby pigs, and um, we had some cookies left over from a wedding that didn't get eaten, so they got to feed chocolate chip cookies to the pigs and the piglets, and that was super fun. I had my timer on my phone because I knew I had to come in and do this podcast, but I'm like, grandma's got to go take some videos really quick of the cuteness. <laughs> that is so awesome. I have an oldest son, Tony, who we adopted into our family when he was 15. And you can read Tony's story. I have a book called Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. And I talk about both my son, Brandon and Tony, as well as my two daughters. Tony is a fighter pilot in the Air Force. He flies the F-22, and he's actually almost two years away from retiring, married and has two amazing kids, married the sweetest little 
girl with a Georgia accent. And she's, she's a nurse. I call them fighter pilot Ken and nurse Barbie because they are just adorable. (laughs) (laughs) And they live in Virginia right now. And they were all just home for Easter. It was super fun because we got to do family pictures. It's really hard to get, especially the fighter pilot family home because you never know where they're going to be. And then my uh, daughter, Meredith, her and her husband both graduated from the master's college. They actually lived on campus at master's while Jake went to seminary and he was an RD in a guy's dorm. And my granddaughter, Karis, was born there. She was the princess of slight dorm. If anybody's from the TMU, you know what I'm talking about. And she wore little princess dresses every day. And the boy, those boys just played right into being her royal court. So she was rudely awakened after she was six years old and moved off that campus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, then I have a son named Brandon. And Brandon is um, a worship leader in Riverside. He uh, grew up and maybe we'll talk a little bit about Brandon's story, but God just raised up in him to be a worship leader. He's traveled with some really amazing, well-known Christian bands and just woke up one day, wanted to be in ministry in the local church, and God provided for them. They lived in Nashville at the time, him and his wife, to come back to California, and they lead worship in Riverside. And they have a little baby boy and one on the way, another little girl. So by the end of the year, we will have uh, have two grandsons, and the rest are all granddaughters, and one they don't find out till the baby is born. So we got a ton of girls and only a couple of boys. So we're rooting for one more boy for Kayla and Steph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that sort of sounds like our house. We've adopted um, six girls and one boy. Uh, and so we have all these girls in a row and a little boy that's just, but he's all boy. Like he, he's 100% boy. So he puts enough boy into our house, I think. So, but Brandon used to say all the time, I'm a man in a woman's world. <laughs> <laughs> And then when Tony, that is awesome. Tony was 15, Brandon was only six. So Tony all of a sudden became this big brother that Brandon could look up to and, you know, took him for rides in his Jeep. And it was super fun. They have a great relationship. In fact, Tony was Brandon's best man in his wedding and Brandon was Tony's best man. And uh, one of the quotes I have for moms raising sons to be men is how do you, how do you teach your kids to grow up to be best friends? You celebrate their differences. You don't compare them. And Brandon and Tony be more different but they cheer one another on in their life and in as they walk out what God has for each of their lives. It's super, super precious relationship. I just love that. And I just love hearing adult kids that are doing well. And you know, I mean, my kids, I just love them so much. And it's so wonderful having these wonderful adult kids that just love God and are doing well. And I, and we're gonna talk about your book, Real Life Romance. And don't you think that so much of the foundation of our kids doing well is them to have this strong foundation of their parents' marriage and romance. I agree. But you know what? Let's time out because there's people that are going to be listening that are like, oh, my kids, I didn't give them a strong foundation. I was crazy. When I had my third child, we, uh, in my book, uh, The Marriage Mentor, which will come out in August. In fact, Steve and I were on Focus on the Family, August 13th, and we're talking about our new book, The Marriage Mentor. But I talked about how God picked me up out of the, uh, where was I, in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. And my husband always had a dream to be debt free and to live in the country. And one day we were, we flipped houses. We lived in them while we were flipping them. Back in the 80s, people thought we were crazy. Nowadays, we could have a show. But back then, people were convinced we were nuts. (laughs) And because it's so expensive in the Bay Area, we had to live in those houses 
in the middle of the craziness. And when we moved up to where we live now in the country on an 80 acre ranch in the middle of nowhere, uh, we had no power. I lived on a generator for two and a half years and that we slept on a sofa bed, had a surprise pregnancy with my third child, which is the greatest surprise of my life. And God knew we needed Kayla. She's the one that lives by us. And <laughs> we're just like, thank you, Jesus for Kayla. I had postpartum after I had Kayla and I was a wreck and I had never had that before. And I remember telling Steve, I had really bad PMS or PMD after the postpartum subsided. And I remember, and I tell the story in The Marriage Mentor, uh, how I told Steve one day, imagine if you were a werewolf and you knew that every full moon you were going to turn into some werewolf and you were going to eat whoever it was, even if it was your young. And the only hope you had was someone would put you in a cage and lock you up to keep you from hurting anyone that you cared about. I said, that's PMS. Every month I know it's coming. And what I would do is just pull back into my room and just, you know, the, I always say the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control. In those days, the only fruit I had on my vine was self-control. I knew to just pull away and just hide in my room. And I got to tell you, I knew how to battle a spiritual battle. And for years, I battled PMS as if it were a spiritual battle. Now, what happens with PMS if you have a hormonal imbalance is it causes you to think thoughts that you can go down a path where you can sin in your thinking, whether it's anxiety or fear or blaming other people for how you feel or whatever. But the feelings were real. And I knew that I needed to get help. And so I, I kind of want to give that little you know, window into our world because that was a rough season. In that time, my husband's mother developed um, Alzheimer's. So we moved his parents up onto our ranch and I ended up watching her a lot of the time so his dad could get away. And um, his mom, who always adored me, turned her heart against me because she had Alzheimer's. And it was a really dark season in our life. And I remember just, you know, <laughs> living on a generator. I had a butane curling iron. I'm sure that saved our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and I, those seasons that we all have, our kids are watching and coming back to them and saying, you know, I remember my, Meredith was only six years old at the time. She went to the, one of the very last one room schoolhouses in the nation was up here where we live. And this is in California. It seems like we're in Little House on the Prairie, but we literally still live in Northern California. And I remember handing the newborn to, Kate, to Meredith when she walked in the door after school, putting on Little Mermaid for the 100th time for my two-year-old Brandon to watch. And I would go in my bedroom and just try to you know, wash my mind with the word. I'd pray. I'd cry. It was not a, a good season in our, in our family. And yet I ask Meredith now, you know, will you forgive me? She was, Mom, I don't even remember it. And I'm like, well, praise the Lord for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, all of that to say is there are seasons in our lives that are harder and there are seasons in our lives that God gives us rest. Um, and God does a work not when we're perfect parents, but when we're genuine, when we're real, when we come back and show our kids, you know, that was sin and mommy needs to repent to the Lord that I sinned against you or against you know, your dad or whatever, or just my attitude or, or whatever. It's just being genuine and real because the normal Christian life is just that we live. We want to walk in obedience. When we make, uh, when we, when we sin, we have to turn, repent, and turn from that sin. And I think if they see that genuinely lived out in our lives, it really is the best resource to show them how the normal Christian life is lived out. 
Right. And it is two people, well, in the marriage, it's two people that have sin in their lives and that have difficulties. And then we're coming together and we're supposed to be there to love and honor and cherish and support. And sometimes we don't feel like doing that. But I just, I'd love how you're able to highlight that there are good points and there are romance in our everyday lives. And even with the hard stuff, we can look back and even in your book, we, you know, I love how you talk about, um, different ways that you, that people can kindle the romance and that they can uh, things to ponder and things to think about in their own lives. You know, when we fall in love, it's all in our mind. It's, we think on the great stuff about the person that we're falling in love with. And that's the same way that a person falls out of love is thinking on what is negative. You know, Philippians chapter four calls us to think on whatever is good and right and honorable and praiseworthy. Think on those things. And then the God of peace will rule in our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The God of peace will rule in our marriage the God of peace will rule in our romance. If we make a decision that we are going to think on thoughts that we used to think on when we first married or when we were dating. And that's really one of the reasons that I wrote Real Life Romance was just to rekindle. There really is real romance around us. We just have to look for it. And then finding marriages that are genuine and real, that have suffered through some difficult seasons, that have come through some amazing you know, highs and lows, and their romance has, has stayed firm. One of my favorite love stories from Real Life Romance is of Vi and Kurt. I'm a pastor's wife. And when I went to a pastor's wife conference, I was looking for mentors. Steve had been in youth ministry for 18 years. We loved it. When God called us to adult ministries, I'm like, I need some mentors that have walked this path ahead of me. And I went to a pastor's wives retreat in Northern California. In fact, I'm speaking at that very retreat this May uh, in uh, May, 2018. So if you're interested, you can find it on my um, Facebook page. But I went to this retreat looking for women who loved being in ministry because I know a lot of pastor's wives that say how hard it is and you don't have enough money and people don't appreciate what you do. And, you know, we've heard all those stories. I wanted to love it. And I met Vi and Vi loved being a pastor's wife. And she had just this joy about her. And, you know, Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah 8.10. And I knew that fighting for joy in this ministry was key to remaining joyful and having the strength to this ministry God called us. So Vi would share with us through her life as, as the time went on. And one day, Kurt was diagnosed with cancer. And on the last day of Kurt's life, Vi said that he had been in and out of coherency. And then one day he opened his eyes and she he looked at her and he said, Vi, am I dying? And she said, yes, Kurt, you're dying. But you're going to see Jesus today. What's the first thing you want to tell Jesus when you see him today? And Bai said that Kurt closed his eyes and then he got a big smile across his face and he said, I'm going to thank him for giving me you. And I, oh my goodness. Every time I can't not cry. <laughs> That's what we want. We want our lives to bless our spouse. We want this romance that is not just all warm, fuzzy feelings and chocolates and flowers. Uh, one of my favorite romantic moments I can think of was when my husband shattered his hip in a motorcycle accident 11 years ago. And then our house, the water pipes burst after he'd had that surgery. He was in traction for uh, 10 days and the water pipes in our house froze while we were away and 5,000 gallons of water flooded our house. My 18 year old, 16 year old came home to this flooded home and I was just done. And I, I had really been trying to be brave for Steve and be okay. And the joy of the Lord is your strength was a scripture that God just kept giving me to get me through. 
And in that moment when I was just done, Steve called me over to his bed and I climbed in his hospital bed next to him with this shattered hip and it was pretty rough, but he pulled me up next to him and I just wept on his chest. And you know, that's one of my favorite real life romance memories because he was in so much pain and he knew this is what I needed was to just be held by him. So uh, real life romance finds its way in so many different areas of our lives. Yeah. And it really seems like when I look back at my relationship with John, we've been married 28 years and it seems like those tough times end up being the precious times and the times that we had the hardest times in our, our personal life and our personal romance were the times when my writing was going really well and his career was going well. And we just seemed to be living two different lives. Um, And in comparison, when we adopted all these kids and we have chaos in the home, we really have to lean on each other. We need each other. And those have been the most precious times. So sometimes it is those challenging times and the pain and the ache that ends up pulling us together in our marriages. It is true. And, you know, I got to write mine and Steve's love stories, the first one in real life romance. And then at the end of the book, I got to write each of my kids' love stories. And their love stories just, you know, watching your kids fall in love. The thing that we pray about their entire life from the time that our kids are born is for God to bring them a spouse that loves Jesus more than he loves them. Mm. Because the priority of life is to, Mark chapter 12, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second command is to love your neighbor as yourself. But we can't love our neighbor, our spouse, our children the way God wants us to love with his agape love, unless we are pressing in to love him with our whole being. And then Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We don't have to guilt ourselves into loving better. His love, his agape love just naturally spills out of us onto the people he wants to love through us, our family, our spouses, that person at the grocery store that needs to hear the gospel, that woman at church that feels all alone. It's not hard when we continue to make the priority of our life pressing in to our love for him. And I love your book, Walk It Out. Walk out that love for Christ through the the word of God dwelling in us richly, our minds being washed with the water of the word. I can't fall in love with Jesus unless I'm willing to sit with him and know him through the pages of scripture. And I think we all know that, but life gets busy and we are, you know, in such a hurry to accomplish great things, whether it's, you know, getting the laundry done by the end of the day or, you know, whatever that thing is. Uh, We put so much on ourselves. We get captivated with the captivity of activity. When God says, just hush, just be still and know me, know that I am God. Your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And then he will do through you exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think to ask him to do. And I, I was reviewing your walk it out book again last night and I'm crying, Tricia. I just love your story. And I love the insights that it's the word of God. It, you cannot live this life that God's called us to. We cannot build real life romance or train our kids toward real life romance unless we press in to the divine romance, the lover of our soul. Uh, so that's my my passion is to help people figure that out. Yeah, I was just listening to a podcast um, from Austin Stone Church this morning. And the pastor there was saying, you know, to be more like Jesus, we don't need to do more, you know, try to act more like him. We need to just be with Jesus. And I just like, yes, that's it. We just need to be with Jesus and every part of our lives, including our romance will be completely transformed by that. It is. And it's just such a freeing thing when we really can just rest in him, casting our cares on him 
where he really does care for us. I spoke at a college retreat recently, and I actually also spoke at Cal Baptist University's Women's Chapel. And I told this story to when anyone who's either training their child to, to find real life romance, or if you're single, even if you're a single mom and you're looking for what you think is real life romance. My son, Tony, went to A&M University and he was in the ROTC program, the Corps, because he was going to be in the Air Force and he wanted to be a fighter pilot. And he was the head of his unit. And the unit would run together and they had to finish at the same time. And there was one woman in their unit that always would fall behind. And the commander would make them do push-ups until she crossed over the line. And their time didn't count until she crossed over. So Tony realized he had to do something. So he said he would fall back and he would run with his hand in the small of her back. And as long as he kept his hand in the small of her back, they kept their eyes on the finish line and they ran the race that was set before them. They all finished on time. But as soon as he took his hand out, she would lag behind. And I tell that story in real life romance to help people understand what happens in this season when um, we're looking for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright is people that are running the race. Jesus says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author, finish your faith. They stop running the race and they start looking. Is it you? Is it you? Is it him? Is it her? Who's going to make me feel valued or special or worth something? Because every princess Cinderella story tells us our worth is found in who loves us. And in reality, that's true. God created us to find our worth in who loves us, but it's in the lover of our soul, the creator of heaven and earth, who says, you know, I love when when David says to the Lord, who am I, O God? And what is my family that you have brought me thus far? Who am I that you should know my name? And I think that what happens is we take our eyes off of what God has for us to go look for Mr. and Mrs. Wright. And then sadly, so often, because our culture doesn't even really, it doesn't even blink anymore when people are in, you know, jump into bed with each other and they're not married. Um, Whenever a person who is a believer, if they're involved in the marriage and they're doing in, you know, having sex outside of marriage, they're quenching the spirit in their life and they're not being led by the spirit. I can't think of anything more terrifying than to choose a spouse when you're not being spirit led. And so my 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 uh, admonition to anyone who's single or you're training your children is to teach them, as Paul says, to run this race that is set before you, to kick off any sin that so easily besets you with eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And then if one day, ladies, you're running and there's a man with his hand in the small of your back helping you run your race, you marry that guy. Or if you're a guy and your son is running and he's got his hand in the small of the back of a woman to help her run her race, he should marry that girl. And I told that story at a college retreat and a girl named Rachel that was sitting there had known Cody her whole life. Her parents were friends since before they were born. And all of a sudden she went, oh, it's Cody. And Cody drove her home from that retreat and just happened to say, hey, can I date you? And she said, yes. And they got married and they've have a great real life romance. And I wish that would have happened before real life romance was published because I would have put their story in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. And I love how you say find the man whose hand, you know, is in the small of the back that's running with you towards, uh, towards Christ. And I mean, that's so much of my story. I had been a, a teen mom, which, you know, I talk about and walk it out. And so, you know, every time I get up, I have to talk about how God has just transformed me during my teenage years. And I prayed for someone who would love me and love my son, but mostly who would love God. And he brought, you know, John into my life. But I was that that teen that just had this huge hole in her heart that just wanted someone to love her so desperately that, you know, I became sexually active at a young age. And I see that so many with young people, they just have that 
that hole that only God could fill. Um, and they're looking for love in all the wrong places. And I know that you also have, you know, part of your story has to do with the teen pregnancy. Can you just share more about that? I can. I, I think I forwarded to you my article. It's called A Letter to My Teenaged Mom. And I, I love that. I put it up every Mother's Day. My mom's has been uh, gone for two years now. She passed away, but she, my mom was 17 when she got pregnant with me and I was her second child. And my mom was raised, her parents were both alcoholics. Um, They were the fun alcoholics. My grandparents always were out partying and dancing and all that stuff. And they didn't abuse her in a, in a way that hurt her, but she was the codependent. She would fall asleep in the car in the alley at the bar while they were dancing. And she would be little scared little girl in the back of a car hiding under the coats and very insecure. And she did become sexually active at a very young age. Um, My mom shared with me, even my mom did not know the Lord and neither did her parents. And my mom's mom even tried to take her to Mexico to have an abortion. And this was back before abortion was legal in America. And my mom had the courage to tell her mother no, which to me is amazing because my mom never stood up to her mother, but God was protecting uh, my mom and her children. And my mom grew up and I, we grew up together and and I just watched my mom in, in that article. It says, you pretended to be a grown up. And she tried real hard the best she could, but we grew up together. She argued with us like like a a sibling more than a mom. But my favorite part of that story is when my mom had me, um, she was in the hospital alone and she was crying and very overwhelmed and feeling alone and overwhelmed. And my mom tells the story that a woman happened by her hospital room and stopped and came in and picked me up and hushed me because I was crying unconsolably and then prayed for me and prayed for my mom. And my mom said, I can't even remember what she prayed for us, but I know she prayed. And then she put the baby back in my arms and we calmed and the woman walked away. I love that story because this woman took time out of her busy life, whatever she was doing, to see the tears of a teenage mom and to come in. You know, the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous one accomplishes much. I didn't have a praying grandmother, but I had a woman, a stranger that God sent to the hospital to pray over me when my poor little mama was overwhelmed with her second child by the time she was like 18 years old. And this woman just came in and prayed for us. And my mom, I actually got to lead my mom to the Lord six months before she passed away. And I'm I'm one of my favorite people I've ever led to the Lord is my mom's story. But, uh, you know, teenage moms, God has a, he sees you, he sees. And he, he, if we ladies that are older, Titus two calls the older women to teach the younger, we have to open our eyes. You know, these, uh, abortion is so prevalent and uh, honestly, it's so prevalent in the Christian community because these girls get pregnant and think there's no way anyone can find out about this. There's no way that I'll ever be forgiven of this. Some of my greatest heroes are the Christian girls who came forward and said, this is wrong. And I got pregnant outside of marriage, but I am not going to have an abortion. That takes such courage. Yeah. When I worked at a crisis pregnancy center, um, that's what we saw was that the most, the ones that were most abortion vulnerable were the ones that, you know, their parents were a pastor or their parents, or they went to a Christian school because they, they didn't want anyone to find out. And um, they were afraid what their parents were going to say, you know, the ones um, that, had parents that were teen parents and everyone else in their family had babies as teenagers. It was just a normal part of life. And they, uh, you know, just thought you, they would parent, but I, we see that so much with young women, just let them know that nothing you can do. You know, we let our girls know all the time, nothing you can do will make us, uh, not have you part of our family. You know, we will always be here even when you make mistakes. And I think that is so important for young women to know that, 
people do mess up. All of us mess up. And um, having sex outside of marriage is just another sin. I mean, it's just, it is a sin. And of course we need to, you know, go before God, but it's just like any other sin and not one is greater than another. So um, I'm so thankful for that, that woman that went in and prayed with your mom. I mean, that's such a beautiful story. Isn't it? And you know, Isaiah says that God created us for his glory. And that means to reflect his character. And, you know, Jesus said, therefore, glorify God. Uh, I forget how it goes. Glorify God in your bodies. Um, when we let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. That's the verse I was thinking of. The word glorify means to reflect his character and to live in a way that is going to create an appetite in our children and those around us to want to know our God. But what we do as parents is we become glory stealers. We raise our kids for our own glory, for what people think of us. And we tell our kids, don't act that way, especially pastors, kids, PKs can be okay, but we cannot raise them to glorify ourselves or their father or his position in ministry. Um, I have an ebook out called I Sleep with the Pastor. It's just for pastor's wives because we're the only ones that get what it is that God's called us to do. (laughs) (laughs) And it's on Amazon and on my my website, noregretswoman.com. You can find it. But really and truly, we have to realize that when we tell our kids, don't dress like that or act like that, because what will people think of me? We're, we're glory stealers. Instead of always coming back to that, our lives are to reflect God's glory. And if they make a choice, it doesn't hurt our reputation. And, you know, it's just the Lord. And to have the courage to own their sin and to turn from it actually brings more glory to God. Yeah, that I love, I've never heard of it that way before, but I think that is a wonderful way. And we do see um, parents all the time seeing their kids as a reflection of them. And I was able to go to my little grandson's baseball game just a couple of days ago. And here's the parents. They were getting so angry at their kids on the stands. And these are five and six-year-olds. Um, and I'm like chill out. It's a little kid because they see themselves, you know, we got to have the star player or the best student or all these things as a reflection of us. And I'm like, no, we just need to realize that God has gifted them in different ways. And we just need to help them to run the race God has called them, not try to figure out the own course that we want to take our kids down, um, which is a whole other topic. <laughs> and I think you and I first met, we were both speaking at a homeschool convention. And, and really, there's a huge temptation in the homeschool community to do that. You know, we quit corporate America, or we quit our whatever, so we can raise these brilliant children. And so when they are not climbing the academic ladder like we think they should, we feel like it reflects on us as a failure. Um, and that is not a healthy way to raise a kid. And homeschooling kids have to be, you know, not brought to this place of you have to, you know, play the piano when you're three years old because I want I because I want to look good. We have to learn how to set them free from the burden of making mom or dad look good. Because guess what happens? They hit junior high or high school and they go, oh, this is about how you look. Oh, I own you, girlfriend. Let me just show you what I can do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Absolutely. So going back to real life romance, I know I wrote a book um, called Praying for Your Future Husband that talks about uh, preparing your heart for his. And I wrote it it with Robin Jonesgan. And really, I I was the one that was a teen mom before I became pregnant. She was the one that wrote letters to her future husband and put him in a box. So completely different stories. But the whole point of that book is to, um, you know, who do we want God, the type of person? So we focus on things like godly character, trustworthy, you know, not like six, two and blonde hair, <laughs> all those sorts of things that would make a list. But then also, okay, if you want someone who is God, 
godly and uh, trustworthy and, you know, Bible reading and uh, mission seeking, all these things, who do you need to be? Um, So I I love getting letters from young women who have found their future husbands and just realized, you know, reading the book that they need to prepare for that person. Um, But I get also letters from people that have said, okay, I have uh, been praying for this person, or I don't even know if there could be a guy out there. And, you know, they may look at your book, okay, real life romance, you know, I'm in my 30s now, and there is no romance here. So what encouragement would you have for someone who may be saying, I feel like I'm trying, I'm working on myself, I'm doing all the right things, but I'm not seeing this fulfillment that I want in my life. Do you have any thoughts or an encouragement for that person? I do. And I understand. And I have, I have prayed alongside of young women that are right there in that area of their life. And there's a story. What I love about real life romance, it's not a self-help book and each story stands alone. There's 25 really amazing, get your tissue out, ugly cry face love stories that are in that book. And one of them is about Kevin and Susan. And Susan, she worked for Focus on the Family, and she did some other stuff in her life. And then she was ministering in a church in children's ministries, waiting for God to bring someone. All her friends are getting married. Not her. Everybody around her, not her. She wanted to be married, but no. And the, her stories, one day she's making those um, the colorful bracelets. What do they call The wordless bracelet for VBS. And she goes to a coffee shop, and she reaches for her coffee. And the, the barista notices the bracelet makes a comment about it's a wordless bracelet. I wish I could do VBS for the rest of my life. I love it so much. And she's like, oh, oh my goodness. I've never heard a man say that. Usually children's ministries is like a stepping stone for being a pastor or whatever. So she's kind of interested, but she finds out he's a whole lot younger than her. So she gives up on it. And then if you just continue to read their story, it's this timing of God bringing about growing both of them bringing them together in ministry and then eventually knitting their hearts together in love for each other. And they get married and they've been married for years now. And uh, it's just a story of hope uh, and timing and waiting on God. A lot of women that are single will give up waiting on God and they'll settle or they'll just look for somebody that's not a believer or calls himself a Christian, but isn't a passionate Christ follower. And let me just tell you, if you're single, even if you're a single mom and you're thinking you won't be lonely if you marry someone, even if it's not the one that is going to help you follow Christ and raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Being lonely and single is sad. Being lonely in a marriage is tragic and it happens more often than you would think. So being married is not the goal. It's doing whatever God calls you in the season. He has you trusting that he knows your heart and he knows what he has. You know, it's God who works into you to will and to do his good pleasure. And I know it's easy to say, trust him, but I promise you, I've been in ministry for 36 years. He is faithful and he will do either, you know, there's some women that have just decided I'm going to be single or some men that have just decided this is what God has called me to. And, and they have come to a place of being satisfied with it. They're like, don't try to fix me up. I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing my thing. I don't want to be married. Others that still long for it, trust that if God has that for you, he will bring it about in his timing. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus and run long and hard after him because he's going to do some great things through that time that you have that you're just available. Yeah, I love that. And I'm glad you brought up the single parent thing too. Um, And I noticed one of the stories um, is Matt and Dawn and it talks about the single parent club. And I think 
uh, you know, we've had even in our family, we've had a family member that um, has completely left the marriage. And the other person is just like, this is not what I signed up for. Like I was completely committed and they have no choice in the matter. Like the other person has just decided to walk away. Um, and they can often give up hope. Like I thought I did everything right. And how could this happen to me? Um, just as we're, we're closing for today, what encouragement would you have for single parents out there? Uh, he is the God who sees and he is the God who hears and he is the God who takes what was meant for evil. I'm crying. I'm sorry. And he uses it for good. And even when you think the person that you had put all of your hopes and dreams in lets you down, and people will, they do, you can know that God sees and he hears and he can make good out of it if you just keep pressing in. Um, The thing I see women do is give up on God. They think if God let him down, that actually is what my mom's story was. She said, I don't, you know, when we were kids, she said, "I I tried that and it didn't work for me. And when you give up on God, you give up, where else are you going to go? You know, like Peter said, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Stay with him. And I promise you that in his timing, he will make this make so much sense. But you have to keep your eyes on him. You have to trust him. And, you know, sometimes the trial is not about you. Your kids see you go through a trial. And if you press into your love for Christ, I know one woman who said, if I had to go through all of that again so that God could do in my kids what he has done to raise them to love the Lord with all their hearts, I'd live through it again if that's what it took for God to capture the heart of my kids. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Because you think, okay, this is something that's going to draw them away from God. But really, I love what you're saying. If we press into God, that it can be something that can be an amazing example to our kids. It can. And they they cry with us. They, they have tears. Uh, I have a good friend whose husband died and was unexpected. And she has raised two amazing daughters who love the Lord. Uh, and she really could have just shook her fist at God and, and said, you know, he was my high school sweetheart and we were so happy and what happened. And yet because of what God did in her life by her just pressing into her love for him, she never married again. She's been widowed for probably 29 years now. Uh, she's my age. I'm 57 next week. There I said it. Yay. Happy birthday. <laughs> I've been married 36 years. My husband was one of her husband's best friends. And uh, she at some point decided, I don't want to be married again. I just want to serve the Lord and raise these kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, you know, God becomes a father to the fatherless. He promises. And he is there for the widows and he sends those to minister to her and he promises to be her husband. So God is good even when it doesn't feel like it. His ways are above ours. His thoughts are above ours. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so his ways are above ours. And we can trust him. And I would say surround yourself by people that speak that truth into your life. Read those books that, you know, Titus 2 calls the older women to teach the younger. That's why I write the books that I write. That's why I write the articles I write. Uh, to just, you know, mentor from a distance. That's why our book is called The Marriage Mentor coming out. Um, You want to fill your mind with truth from older women that God will send across your path to keep your eyes on Christ and to keep you trusting the Lord, even when life doesn't make sense. Mm. And I think everything that you came, you know, talked about today just comes up to one thing and it's that that's true love. Um, the true love of Jesus Christ. And no matter what situation, whether we're at a good place in the marriage, a bad place in our marriage, um, single, still looking for someone, uh, you know, recently divorced, or maybe starting a new with a new person after a second marriage. I mean, all those places, the best way to build our romance with 
the person that God has given us is to build the relationship with him first. And that's just come through so much in everything that you've shared today. And I just appreciate that. I appreciate your heart. I appreciate that you just share that no regrets, that just keep running towards God and and, uh, live a life without regrets. Amen. And you know what? It's freeing. And that's what, uh, just to talk about real life romance, it's a great gift for a single teen, tween, Uh, A lot of homeschool kids I know are reading it and, you know, it talks about pornography in there and how one relationship was affected by a young man that got addicted to pornography. It talks about a daughter that walked away from her faith and grew up. And it's just there's great little standalone stories, great for youth ministries. It's also just a wonderful resource to rekindle the romance in our own marriage. At the back of the book, you get to write your own love story. I love that. Yes, I was going to mention that, that um, I love how that's included in the book. And I I guarantee I have 14 girls in the house. They're 13, 15, 15, and 18. I'm going to go put this in our coffee table. And I guarantee by the end of the day, one of them is going to be picking it up. Because of course, who doesn't want to read about real life? romance. Well, and we ache for love stories. And that's really why I wrote it to redeem romance. There's this longing for happily ever love stories and the world has stolen true romance. So why not celebrate what it really looks like and introduce that? There's a 13 year old boy in our church that is reading the book. And every time I see him, he, he calls me Nana. A lot of the kids in the church, my name's Rhonda, but when he was a baby, he couldn't say Rhonda. So it was Nana. And he says, Nana, I read this story and I read that story and I'm loving this part. And my daughters have gone through a lot of infertility and miscarriages. And he just read one of those stories. And he said, when Karis, who was two years old, put her hands on Meredith's arms and looked Meredith in the eye and said, but mommy, you will hold a baby in heaven. And he said, I just cried. And I'm like, I know it's just a tender hearted love stories that captures the heart. Uh, my friend's husband who says he never reads, got it in the mail and couldn't put it down. So it's an easy read. Cause you know, I know everybody doesn't want to, they say they're not readers, but they read Facebook all day long. So they're readers. So we just have to write something that they'll pick up. <laughs> oh, oh and I love that. So much. Videos on my website, no regrets, If you click on real life romance, there's videos of some of the couples telling their love story um, that from the book, mine and Steve's on there. My kids are on there and and some of the others about a 12 of them. Super fun. Oh, good. So I haven't even found the videos yet. So I'm going to have to go because, you know, you kind of picture the people in the mind. I mean, there are photos of them, but you know, some of them, you can't see them too well. So it's going to be fun to see some of the videos and get to hear it in their own words. Yes. There's one with Jeff and Jennifer called uh, real life romance. It's something about addiction and it talks about his addiction and how God, you know, their marriage broke up because of his addiction and then God brought it back. And it's a great real life romance story. And they tell it on the video. I love that. And so we know to go to no regrets, uh, com to find out the videos and more about the books. Where else can people find you online? If you go to no regrets, that's really the easiest. Cause then there's all of my little tabs for my, uh, my website, my Rhonda stopping no regrets woman is my Facebook page on uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter, I'm at Rhonda Stoppy. I also have a YouTube channel that you can find all of those videos on, Rhonda Stoppy, No Regrets Woman. But if you just remember No Regrets Woman, I'm helping you build a No Regrets life, uh, you'll find it all. <laughs> I love that. And I've just been so encouraged. I've heard you on some other podcasts. Um, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know her. So it's been fun just to hear your heart and to connect with you. And I'm looking forward to one day, maybe we'll be speaking at the same place again. Yes, that would be fun. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And again, the book is called Real Life Romance. You have to get it. And I will uh, put it on my coffee table today and see which one of the girls ends up picking it up first. But Rhonda, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Tricia. And if you want to give a free copy to one of your listeners, just give me the address and I'll send them an autographed copy. Oh, perfect.
Okay, well, I'll put a raffle copter on the show notes. So if you're listening to this, um, go to the show notes, which is just uh, walkitoutpodcast.com. And then you'll see this episode and click on it. And then we'll have a raffle copter and we'll give away a copy. So thank you so much, Rhonda. Thank you. It's really been fun. And go back and enjoy those baby pigs. Like <laughs> <laughs> my, my kids are going to be so jealous. <laughs> oh, I'll, I put pictures up on my social media. Of all, I call it, I hashtag everything life in the canyon. So there's lots of fun. We have peacocks and pigs and all kinds of crazy stuff. I'll have, I'll have to show up. They will be excited. Well, thank you so much. Okay. I don't know about you, friend, but I am still wiping my tears over the story that Rhonda shared about the man who was dying who said to his wife, today, I'm going to thank Jesus for giving me you. That is just the sweetest thing. And it fills me with so much of a desire just to love my husband even more. I mentioned in the intro how I just knew that John Goyer was a gift uh, for me from God, and I just want to be that same type of gift to him. Now, as Rhonda mentioned, you can find out more about her at noregretswoman.com, and I'll have the link to her website and everything else she mentioned in the show notes, and you can always find the show notes by going to walkitoutpodcast.com. Also, today's Walk It Out scripture is 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8, and this is in the NIV the New International Version. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Today, friend, how can you walk out that type of love? It may just start with thinking about good things about your spouse, or if you're not married, but you want to be, it may be taking time to pray for your future husband. I even have a book for that that I wrote with my dear friend, Robin Jones Gunn, called Praying for Your Future Husband. So you can start, even now, being loving, kind, protective, trusting, hopeful, persevering for that future spouse that God has planned for you. And know that as you think about those things, as you... Think about ways to be loving that your actions will follow. Also, here's a prayer for us. Lord, now so many times I want love to be like it is in the movies, all romantic and mushy. Yet I know that isn't what my heart truly desires. First, my heart longs for your love. It feels empty without your love. Only your pure love can fill me and satisfy me. And it's out of your love, Lord, that we truly love others. Help me to do that today. When unloving thoughts fill my mind, I pray that you will help me turn them over to you and replace them with thoughts of real love, love that's genuinely lived out. I know that the more I allow your love to push through me, to flow through me, the more all my relationships will change. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you you for the ability to love others. Now, friend, thank you for tuning in to Walk It Out today. As always, you can find out more about me on my website, which is just trishagoyer.com. And you can find me on all the social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram under Trisha Goyer. Finally, friends, I really appreciate it if you tell your friends about this podcast and encourage them to listen. Also, if you'd like to um, post a review, you could do that on iTunes or any other Um, podcast app. As you know, this podcast is sponsored by my book, Walk It Out, and it's published by David C. Cook. 
David C. Cook is a nonprofit publisher spreading God's word in over 100 countries. Thank you, friend, for tuning in, and I pray that your week will be blessed. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Author Media. Opening and closing music is from the song Wide Open Space by Life Worship, used with permission from Integrity Music.